So welcome to episode 14 of the Next Gen Cast. My name's Nish Manek, I'm a GP Registrar in Cambridge. And before we start, I just wanted to say a really big thank you to everyone who supported Next Gen over the last four years. We're just about to celebrate our fourth birthday and we've had over 2,000 people join one of our programmes across the country during the last four years. So whether you're someone that's spoken at one of our events, you've been a participant on one of our programmes, you're one of our amazing team members who runs this in their free time, or you're supporting us from the sidelines in some way, thank you so much. It's hard to believe that we went from a crazy idea to where we are four years later, but we couldn't have done it without each and every one of you. Today I'm speaking to Dr Rachel Steen who's a brand newly qualified GP in Sheffield with a huge passion for health inequalities. I think Rachel's a remarkable leader. She's just achieved so much for someone who is so early on in her career and her passion for health inequalities and sharing her passion with others really comes through I think in this conversation. She's the leader of the Trailblazer GP scheme, which supports GPs working in areas of deprivation across Yorkshire and Humber and is now spreading to other areas. And she's also been part of a group of GPs who've created this incredible website called Fair Health, which provides educational resources for health professionals on health inequalities. So in this conversation, Rachel told me about where her passion for health inequalities came from how she grabbed opportunities to share that passion more widely with other people and some of the things that she found difficult, like tackling her imposter syndrome along the way. So here's Rachel Steen. Rachel, welcome to the Next Gen Cast and thank you so much for doing this. You're the first trainee that we've had on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. So thank you. I'm a bit nervous because you're the only person that sat in that seat that is also a podcast host. So you've got your own podcast. But on that note, you were so helpful in supporting me to get this podcast set up. So thank you for that. And thank you for doing this. Oh, Nish, honestly, well, I'm really nervous too. And thank you so much for having me on the next Gen cast. Honestly, I feel really, really honoured to be here. So thank you. You and I met, um, you were one of the participants on the very first South Yorkshire Next Gen GP program and we met I remember meeting you very briefly then but when we got to the end of the program and we asked for people to sort of put their hands up and consider leading a second cohort and paying it forward you very much rose to that challenge which I hugely appreciated and you're now helping to support a third virtual cohort across Yorkshire which I'm very grateful for. But when you joined the Next Gen Leadership team, I then began to learn more about you. And I realised you had this incredible passion for health inequalities, but also were, you were doing lots of interesting things in terms of bringing that passion and opportunities to learn about health inequalities to other people. And you know my mantra about leadership is, is doing stuff and not relying on titles or positions. So I've always admired you as a person and what you're doing. So let's maybe start, start with a bit about who you are, so people who perhaps don't know you so well. Could you tell us who, who's Rachel Steen and what, what are you doing at the moment? Okay, so oh, thanks, Nish. <laughs> you always say the most lovely things, so thank you. So um, I'm, yeah, so I'm Rachel, I'm a GP. Um, I'm just, I've literally just actually CCT'd. And yeah, so as, uh, along with my GP training, so I was doing GP training in SC3 part-time. 
But then I was also running something called the Trailblazer Scheme, which is a scheme for newly qualified GPs working in areas of deprivation. So we essentially use the ideas from something called the Deep End Pioneer Scheme in Glasgow, where they were supporting GPs with some extra sessions for professional development, education and support for those GPs working in areas of deprivation. And we essentially copied them and did something very, very similar, but called it the Trailblazer Scheme back in 2018 across Yorkshire and Humber. And we started with seven GPs working in areas of deprivation and um, they got two sessions a week of self-directed personal development and um, and a a structured education program, which I started running back then. And then also the elements of personal development, so things like coaching and also time to do other exciting things. So self-directed time to do other projects and things like that. And um, I got involved with that as part of a leadership fellowship through Health Education England. So having run it as part of my leadership fellowship, continued to run that part time and really excitingly have had lots of interest from other areas of the country to run similar programmes and also running a a national focused education session, bringing all of those GPs together over the last few months, which has been really great. That's amazing. So there's so much I want to unpack there. Maybe the best place to start is from your leadership fellowship that you mentioned. Some people listening may have done fellowships, but some people might be wondering, as as a trainee, how does one get a fellowship? How did you how did you get that? But perhaps also quite importantly, what made you want to do a fellowship? Yeah, so this is really interesting. And I so I um, I actually was sitting next to a couple of colleagues on the train on the train on the way to the RCGP conference in Liverpool. I um, was chatting to two of them and they said that they were doing this leadership fellowship on the Future Leaders Programme with Health Education England. And they were both raving about it and saying how amazing it was. And I, I remember that train journey so clearly because I just thought that's what I need to do that (laughs) I need to do that and there was a window that came up so that was the October and then in the November there's a sort of two-week window where the email comes out to say do you want to do a leadership fellowship and I actually remember seeing the email the year before so I was in ST2 then um, doing um, paediatric A&E and I remember seeing the email the year before and ignoring it and thinking leadership uh, I don't want to do a leadership fellowship Um, and then the year after it was I had to do it there was nothing else I wanted to do more and it's really interesting isn't it that how your mindset can just change and I was like no I really need to do that it's similar to me as well people and conversations can really transform what you think you should do can I just ask before you carry on what was it about what they said that demystified or changed your concept of leadership um I think it was I, I respected both of them they were both doing some really really interesting things I had been working a bit in the system had realized that there was sort of interactions between primary and secondary care that I thought could potentially have been a little bit better I was thinking about ways in which we could improve health I've always been interested in sort of health inequalities and thinking about how we can support vulnerable groups largely since I did an international health degree during my undergraduate and I think they were talking about a lot of projects they were doing, which were having an impact on that sort of thing. I also found that during training, I wasn't really learning about the system and I wasn't really getting much of an opportunity to think about how we could change things, how we could 
how we could how we could do things better um it was really kind of doing the job learning the clinical stuff and i thought hang on there's an opportunity here to learn some more both sarah and alice who i um who were doing who are the two people i bumped into on the train are both really both inspirational people and that helped as well i think were you worried about taking a year out because it's not it was a fellowship without clinical time wasn't it yeah, I was a little bit, actually. I was a bit worried about losing some of the clinical stuff because I hadn't done my um, CSA yet at that point. So I was a bit worried about that. I'd done my AKT. But actually, it's amazing, actually, how you how quickly you pick it up when you come back. <laughs> um, but also how the value of having the time away from clinical work. So I think a lot of fellowships have clinical work weaved into it. So maybe one day a week of a fellowship. And actually, I really, really benefited from having that complete break away from clinical work because it really gave me that time to kind of actually really stop and take stock of what was happening in the system, what I'm interested in, what I wanted to do. And it does take a few months on the fellowship to kind of find your feet. Definitely for the first month, <laughs> I was doing lots of reading and not, doing, not, not getting my teeth into something it's interesting, you, you, you explore different avenues and sometimes things come to a bit of a dead end and that's okay. A lot of the things that I started didn't necessarily come through, but then it, some of them did. And that's what's ex- exciting about doing a fellowship. It's lovely because people can't see this, but I can see you because we're chatting over Zoom and your face just lights up when you, when you were telling that beautiful story of meeting Sarah and Alice on the train. You somehow, I can tell from your eyes, you got this conviction of, I need to do this, but it wasn't about you. It was about learning about the system and maybe what you could do to improve it is that where you got the confidence to apply if people are sitting there thinking I I mean I've definitely had this in my own experience of why me like why would anyone want to appoint me to a fellowship no well definitely and I it's it's really interesting you've mentioned confidence ish because confidence is something that is has been something that I've definitely struggled with um if I go back to thinking about my interview for (laughs) interview for my leadership fellowship I was so nervous to the point where I think if I hadn't prepared I think I I probably wouldn't have got the job just because I was that nervous (laughs) so and I do I I'm finding public speaking and talking much 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 more easy um over time but it's still um I, it's still something that i find really really scary an interview situation or um yeah an oski situation yeah worse nightmare <laughs> that completely resonates with me it's good that i think it's nice to be honest about it because maybe people from the outside might look in and think oh that obviously comes easy to you but i'm like you as well sleepless nights before having to speak in front of people even doing this podcast absolutely terrifying the first or second time particularly i was shaking like a leaf and really glad to be hiding behind zoom um since you brought it up can we just maybe unpack that a bit because i'm curious to know how I've seen you a bit over that journey. I remember when we first met, you told me, you said, you know, I want to leave Next Gen, but I'm so nervous doing public speaking. And I don't know what you were doing behind the scenes, but I watched you grow in confidence. And I think you started to enjoy it by the time I saw you sort of standing up at the unconference that we ran in front of 300 people or something. And you were very different. So what do you think has helped? Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, Nish. So I think around the time that I met you I started my leadership fellowship and there's a lot of leadership development stuff that we we did on the future leaders program as part of that there was also um coaching so um we were encouraged as part of the future leaders program to get a coach 
uh, and I found that hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial and that sort of challenged some of the stuff with sort of imposter syndrome. Um, so definitely have imposter syndrome and there's a huge amount of stuff around imposter syndrome that I have worked on and that's kind of with a coach but then also kind of following coaching kind of catching myself so there's a lot of things about kind of incorrect limiting assumptions that um, I definitely have a sort of internal dialogue and it's really easy to get yourself into that kind of vicious cycle of those incorrect limiting assumptions like it's not me I'm not very good at public speaking I can't do this that sort of thing around the time with next gen and the leadership fellowship there was a lot a lot of things that kind of helped with that i remember hearing at one of the first next generation gp events kind of someone saying well if not you then who and that really really rang true for me because i was like yeah actually that was martin mcshane wasn't it yeah. um and that really helped and then i suppose it's the fact versus fiction thing it's the story you're telling yourself how true is that Quite often that can be quite an old story you're telling about yourself and sort of changing that story to something that is more accurate. And yeah, I, I started noticing following that stuff myself. And actually without, even without a coach, so when my coaching finished, I was managing to catch myself saying those things as the internal dialogue and kind of creating a conversation that was sort of more valuable in my head, if that makes sense. Um, but I don't manage that well all the time, <laughs> I have to say. It's not something that I say that I've, oh yeah, I've nailed it. <laughs> definitely haven't. <laughs> um, but it's definitely there um, still. But I, I definitely feel like I can manage it better. And I've, you kind of, I've kind of said, said yes to things. I've, and it's been terrifying. Quite often when people have said, do you want to do this? I've said, yeah, go on then. And it kind of dealt with the consequence later. <laughs> I thought, right, okay, I'll have to see what happens. Same with, I don't know you asking me to do the podcast today you just have to deal with it you say yes and then you, you yeah you see where that goes that's so nice to be so honest about it as well it's really really good to hear and I love your you're so right the stories we tell ourselves are so so important one other thing about um, imposter syndrome that I have learned is recognizing that it exists and also not beating myself up too much about that it's there I think um, I think my coach said to me once that um, thinking about imposter syndrome, those those things that you're thinking with imposter syndrome as clouds in the sky that pass over you and just noticing them and then kind of letting those those thoughts pass over and know that they exist and then kind of moving on. Because I think if you can't try and battle it too, too, too much, sometimes that can be a bit detrimental as well. Mm, I love that as an analogy. I'm going to write that down. I don't know if you remember Oliver Nyambu, who we've had, I don't know where he said this, but at some next gen thing, and he called them imposter moments rather than a syndrome. But I yes. love that imposter clouds. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I kind of did, did a bit of a detour there to talk about confidence because you mentioned it, but you were telling me more about the trailblazer scheme. So you got, you got the confidence to do this fellowship. So tell me a bit more about then that. How did that fellowship lead to what you're doing now? So, yeah, so I got involved mainly with kind of two big things during the fellowship. So firstly, the trailblazer scheme. So that was supporting GPs in areas of deprivation. Um, and then this, the second thing was Fair Health. So a few colleagues of mine started Fair Health back in, I think it was 2017, 2018. And they um, essentially were wanting to create an online education platform, which was kind of easy to use, um, not clunky. You could kind of either wake up on a Saturday morning, listen to a podcast, you can listen to patient stories. There's some online modules 
things don't take particularly like a huge amount of time and don't feel particularly like you're doing a lot of work so we've drawn on health professionals and knowledge and it's not just health professionals actually and um, knowledge from across the system to try and think about ways of tackling health inequalities to create loads of resources but yeah so it, i don't know it's funny as part of that um, i remember during my leadership fellowship just having these amazing conversations with people about tackling health inequalities and i just thought is it similar to kind of you doing your podcast niche is, is that i imagine is that you have these amazing conversations and you just want to share them and you're just thinking actually this I, I'm just having this one-to-one conversation but actually there's so much value and I thought you know what let's see if I can do this but that was terrifying absolutely terrifying science starting the podcast but I, I do really enjoy it now it's still terrifying every single podcast I do I find it scary but it's also really fun <laughs> it's a great podcast and we'll definitely link to that as well I love listening to them you've had some fantastic people on and you know, if anyone listening to this is interested in health inequalities, there are some superb guests that you've had, like Michael Marmot and Victor Adebowale, uh, fantastic people. I wondered, from doing all of those conversations, did you notice any common themes that came out, maybe for people that haven't listened to it yet? What, what have you learned from doing it? Um, gosh, yeah, so much, so much, Nish. So I think I suppose the first thing is that the system is really, really complex. Um, and I see this all the time within the system, actually, and um, people offering sort of quick, appealing solutions to things. And actually, with, with, with a lot of things, solutions are quite often messy, difficult to communicate. So I don't know, for example, thinking about the social determinants of health, things like, I don't know, fairer housing policy, air pollution, that sort of stuff. You might think, oh, yeah, as a GP, we don't really have a role in in doing that and actually I think I think we do and I think we there isn't there is a place for GPs we're in such a unique place within the community to kind of work within the system but it's not easy and it's not simple so it's it's thinking about where we can place ourselves as GPs to try and support other services to improve if that makes sense so I think that's the first thing the other thing I think is um, about health inequalities that I've learned just generally through, through and a lot of people have said this on the podcast, is that health inequalities is relevant in everything that we do. So um, rolling out the vaccine programme, whether you're thinking about screening, whether you're thinking about quaff, whether you're thinking about education, all these things. If, you think, if, you're, if you're doing a change or if you're putting something in place in the system, health inequalities is relevant and it needs to be, needs to be thought about um, and entwined. I've also, I've been so lucky um, to be able to run the Trailblazer educational program because there's been so many amazing GPs doing some incredible stuff. It's incredible what you can, what you, what I've seen, I've seen people get from just having that time. And I know I had that time in my leadership fellowship, but seeing other people um, having that time and doing some absolutely incredible things. So we're, like, we're all adult learners. By the time you've left medical school, when you get, when you're trusted um, and you give people time, um, it's incredible what people can actually achieve like absolutely incredible and there's such a value for with the leadership fellowship with trailblazer scheme there's such a value that i've seen in taking time to be almost be an onlooker if that makes sense and what i mean by an onlooker is kind of being able to step back and see things yeah see situations that you you may so i don't know you we quite often get put my head down in consulting and i've um and just crack on and i've spent a bit of time in my leadership fellowship spending time with other gps across the country um seeing how they consult and not just gps within the practices that i've been working and it's been amazing to learn some of that sort of stuff so within consulting 
there's stuff around health inequalities that I just, if I hadn't been doing the Trailblazer educational programme, I just wouldn't have learned that I um, has completely changed the way I practice. On that vein, when you're thinking about tackling health inequalities as a GP, and you talked a bit about the role we might have in improving housing or air pollution, or, yeah. do you feel overwhelmed or slightly out of your depth? Oh my gosh, Nish, definitely, definitely. But I think it's, um, I think having seen some really inspirational people say you can only do what you can do um, has really taken that pressure off for me. The people I really respect are doing absolutely amazing things within the system who are just saying, right, I can do what I can do on, the, on, on, on this day for this patient. And that does take the pressure off because you can't do everything. You can't do it all. But it's that there is a role for us as GPs and advocates. And as I said, we, we have got a really unique position within our communities, which other, other people just don't have. Um, so even councils sit kind of in the centre of the centre of towns. Charities might sit kind of broadly across cities. We have a really unique place in our small communities but we know our population really, really well. And I think we are listened to as GPs. So I'm not saying write a letter for every single patient. Mm. <laughs> you see, you've got to manage your time and manage your workload and um, look after yourself at the same time. But there is, there is an element where we can support our patients. Thank you. I really, I really like that sort of call to action there. And we've seen that play out in the pandemic more than, I, I mean, for me, more than ever before, the role that GPs have in health inequalities. So you've talked there beautifully about all the things that you've done in the Trailblazer scheme. Can we maybe talk about how that has defined you as a leader? So I said at the top of this podcast that you've done amazing stuff. And to me, that is leadership. When did you first think of yourself as a leader? So I think, to be honest, I, it was starting the Leadership Fellowship and doing Next Gen, I think was the first time that I realized that I was a leader just because I didn't really know what leadership was before that I think if I'm being completely honest and I think that's when that also like linked into some of the confidence element of things uh yeah it made me realize that there were things that I could do and there were things that I could get involved in that were really really exciting and I, I don't know I, Nish I remember you said or you say at the beginning of the next gen events it's leadership is kind of making an impact on other people and I think that was something that really resonated with me in the sense that actually if you can just try and on a day-to-day -day basis try and think about ways in which you can leave a good lasting impression you can make people feel really good about themselves and that is something that kind of since then I've really really tried to do I'm, I'm sure I don't do it perfectly but it's just something I really try and do so yeah I think it was around that time but before that I definitely didn't think of myself as a leader at all. Thank you. I think hearing about how you changed your mindset because of your definition of, of what leadership is, is, is really helpful. And we've talked about confidence and imposter syndrome, but I'd love to dig a bit deeper and understand what, what you found hard. Yeah, so there's, I suppose there's loads of stuff there. The thing I think I find really hard is I'm still early in my very early in my career working out what is normal and what when to sit with niggles when to challenge things challenge the status quo I'm really not a confrontational person at all hate any sort of confrontation and it's kind of thinking when you see something that you don't think is right 
do I do I say something or you're in a meeting and you disagree with what someone says do I say something or should I just stay quiet here and I find that really really hard what am I what am I prepared to sit with what am I prepared to just kind of leave and you can't fight all all fires either so it's actually deciding which fires you're going to fight is I think is really really hard so that's one thing I struggle with the other thing I think I struggle with is um, I think I've realized over the last few years is that I um, you can't always just work hard to get what you want, which is something that I basically had ingrained in me <laughs> to young ages. If you work hard, you can get what you want. And actually, um, I'm a, literally just CCT, but going on maternity leave, and which is really exciting. But we um, had problems with infertility and miscarriages and things like that fortunately got pregnant in lockdown and we feel really lucky that that has happened but it taught me so much I wouldn't don't think I'd have done the leadership fellowship if, it, if I um, got pregnant when I'd planned to do what plant when I'd wanted to <laughs> four years ago I don't think I would have uh yeah I wouldn't be doing any of the exciting stuff I'm doing so there's 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 always so every cloud has a silver lining but I think yeah you can't always get exactly what you want you don't even you don't um, always know what's going on people at work I think I realized just there's been so many people who've been so supportive and so kind to me and it's made me realize just quite how important that is as a leader is that you have no idea what's going on in other people's lives and therefore it is just important just to be kind so that's something that yeah I've definitely found hard over the last few years it's been a big big challenge working out a life that wasn't quite what I had planned and wasn't quite I wasn't able to just work hard and get get what I wanted and so that's been a huge 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 lesson for me yeah I think it's interesting because a lot of people think about how you can kind of we've talked a bit about this already but how you can kind of plan things and go forward and actually I think sometimes not having a plan is actually quite helpful and having some flexibility around that because you can't always you can't always say right in five years time this is what I'm going to be doing Thank you so much, Rachel, for being so honest about that. And you're so right. From the outside, what we've learned through NextGen as well is you see these senior leaders and you think they've had a really smooth trajectory to wherever they are. But what we don't know is all the stuff that's going on backstage, the the derailments. And as you say, it's so important just to remember to be kind. I mean, at the risk of sounding patronising, I think it's incredibly brave of you to share something like that because... We don't often share the curveballs that life throws at us, let alone in the way that you have actually take time to reflect on how that's changed our outlook or, or how it might change us as, as leaders. So thank you. Now, you know, there, there you are heavily pregnant about to go on maternity leave and I'm sure you have lots of things to be doing. So I've taken up plenty of your time. Let's move on to the final three questions, if that's OK. And the first, as I think you know, is what would be a leadership book or a resource that you'd recommend? Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> Listen to the next gen cast. So, um, from so I think from a health inequalities point of view, I'm, I'm, I might have to just do a few here. So, from a health inequalities point of view, people mention Michael Marmot's stuff all the time, and I, I think I have to mention that because it's so clearly laid out. But I think there's another document that I come back to a lot, which is called health inequalities system scale and sustainability which is a public health england document uh, which basically i go back to a lot just because it talks about sort of system change within health inequalities and i from a sort of leadership point of view that can be really really 
beneficial for me to go back and just see where we can make a change within within systems um, around health inequalities. Um, and then my other, the other book I wanted to recommend is probably a bit cheesy, but um, and that's um, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Oh, I love that book. Um, which I think is just offering hope at such an uncertain time. Um, it's simple in illustrations and quotes. Yeah, just uh, just have that little pep talk just to get you through things. It's kind of full of kindness, hope, stability. But actually, that book's so beautiful because it it's on my windowsill and you can sort of dip in and out and just read one page a day and it it's really really lovely isn't it so that's a yeah great thank you it is lovely I think also I think to say about leadership books I have bought a load of leadership books mm. over time and if I'm being completely honest I skip through them and I don't and I don't finish them um if it's literally core leadership stuff um because I actually find it really hard to get, mm. <laughs> kind of get through them and so I pick up bits of leadership advice from all over the place I think I don't think I don't think there's one book out there that can give you um give you all of that and can you the second question is can you tell us about a leader that you particularly admire and why so gosh there's there's so many people I've come into contact in the last four years but um Nish you're going to hate me for this <laughs> but and it's going to sound cheesy so Nish honestly from oh. the moment I met you you're a massive inspiration you literally have I can see you she's completely blushing here now <laughs> massive drive to get stuff done Nish you're always honest you say thank you for the tiniest little things honestly you've taught me so much about what being um a great person and a great leader is all about so yeah had to mention you sorry thank you very much <laughs> can you now mention someone else as a proper leader <laughs> that's not me <laughs> no then you can't edit it out <laughs> <laughs> i'll just say rachel said no comment to that yeah. question. <laughs> but thank you that is very kind thank you moving swiftly on the final one then so your top bits of advice for new leaders Okay. Oh gosh, there's so many of these. Um, but I think I've said it already. Um, be kind. Um, I think I've learned so much within health inequalities about being kind just within the consultation room. Um, and that just simply being an amazing thing to be able to do and a privilege as a GP, but also um, as a leader and with colleagues. I think it's just really, really, really important. I've said everyone's got stuff going on in their lives. It's important to be kind. Um, I think sometimes when things get challenging and when things get tough, that can be really hard to continue being kind all the time. And I think that's when it's particularly important, really trying to kind of do that. It's really amazing, actually, from Next Generation GP, something I noticed quite quickly, seeing all these incredible leaders speaking at the events, is that the kindness just shone through for all these people who, and I think that's what gets them to where they are, actually, in their um, career, is actually that they are kind and um, considerate and thinking about other people within the system and I've yeah I don't think there's one person who we've seen I've seen in next generation GP who hasn't been kind that's been really inspiring for me I suppose the other thing is that I think there's something to be said about kind of who you're working with um, at some points in your career you'll have a choice about who you're working with so as a trainee you kind of you get put on placements and things you don't get a huge amount of choice but at other points of in your career you, I think there are there is a choice about who you're working with and I think that's really really important something I learned with next gen was kind of surrounding yourself with enthusiastic and like-minded people is really really beneficial thinking about how people make you feel there's something about how how I make other people feel as well but how people other people make you feel can you are you in a situation where you are in a you can afford to make mistakes you can take risks 
and will you be supported in doing that and I think that's really really important and then lastly I've said this already but um, keep health inequalities in mind in everything that you're doing because it's really important and um, is relevant and isn't just that sort of added on thing that we think about it's relevant to everything thank you so much Rachel as as ever I've loved chatting to you the thing that I love about you is you have this you're very humble uh, that is definitely a word I'd use with you but you it's almost transformed into the steely quiet confidence which has then translated into you again going back to doing stuff you've you've really done an, an incredible amount as someone who you know until a, a few weeks ago was a trainee so thank you so much and all the very best of luck to you and your husband in this next chapter ahead thank you so much for having me on the podcast and thank you for holding my hand in all of this stuff over the last, <laughs> <laughs> the last four years so that was Rachel Steen and I hope you can see what a rising star she is as a leader because she's somebody that has found the courage to change things within her own sphere so as ever if you want to keep in touch with everything else we're doing including new programs that we've got running around the country just sign up to our monthly bulletin at bit.ly forward slash nggp bulletin if you enjoyed that episode we'd be very grateful if you could subscribe to the podcast and maybe share it with someone else And hopefully we'll see you next time for episode 15.